0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning! Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here again. If you're joining us online, I know I think Dan and Ladonna are here. Can we give them a big round of applause? Hope you guys are. Hope you guys are enjoying yourself, and uh, we miss you guys. Uh, anybody else on the live stream today? By the way, if you don't know what live stream is, it's on the line. So. Come tech with me after the service. I'll bring you into the 21st century. We'll talk about what that means. But, but uh, you know, we want to we want to welcome our guests this this morning, all, as well as anybody who would listen to this podcast later. But we're coming to the end of our arise series, Joshua, and um, we just have a couple more sermons left after this morning. And uh, we we basically spent the past seven weeks watching the mighty hand of God move. I mean, tremendously through. Uh, The the Israelites, the the children of God, the children of Israel, um, and they are going into the promised land. Now, we know why it's called the promised land, right? Because it was land that was promised. Does that make sense? The promised land, because it was land that was promised. If you were with us last week, you recall I read the promise, but it it, it was given to Abraham some 400 years prior to uh, the children of Israel going into the land. And it's Genesis chapter 15, Verses fifteen through twenty. I'm going to read a few more verses than I did last week, um, because it relates more to what we're going to talk about this morning. But here's what it says: As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and there shall co- they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. But when the sun had gone dark and it was it gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking <laughs> fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. This is God making a covenant with Abraham here. Verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, and no, not the Mennonites, but they're not in there." So that was the promised land. That was the land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham. Now notice that the land that God had given them was according to these boundaries. It, he said from the Nile River to the Euphrates River. Now understand, this is 300,000 square miles. 300,000 square miles. To put that in perspective, that is the size of modern day Turkey today. Just approximately three hundred thousand square miles Um, that's what God promised the descendants of Abraham God reiterated this promise to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 it says this from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river the river Euphrates all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not cause you. Uh, I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, what land was that? That was the promised land. That was the promised land of Genesis 15. And I think I, I'm, I've found myself caught in this error when I come to Joshua. I just assumed that they took the land that God had promised. They did not. You realize that the children of Israel at their height of conquering the promised land, according to the description of um, Genesis 15, they only occupied at, at the height of their uh, you know, reign with, with, with Solomon, by the way, who was the one that, that had the height there. He was only 30,000 square feet is what they occupied. 30,000 square feet. Wait a second. But God promised 300,000 square feet. 300,000 square miles, I'm sorry. 300,000 square miles, but they only occupied at the height of, uh, you know, they're going into the promised land. 30,000? What's the problem? The problem is this. Oftentimes, we receive the partial promise from God, but we never live in the fullness of it. We never really receive everything that God has for us in the promise that he's given us. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. God has given us promises, and some of us are only living in the neighborhood of 10% of that, as they were back in their heyday, 30,000 square miles comparable to 300,000 square miles. My question is, are there things in your life that God has promised you that you are not receiving fully this morning. You can shake your head up, up and down because you're the same as the Israelites. There is no difference between you and or us and them as it relates to our hearts. We uh, have a, a, a continual, you know, I don't know, brain fog or whatever it is. But for some reason, we don't follow the full word of God. We don't receive the full word of God. And if we don't receive the full word of God in our life, we cannot receive the full promises of God. We might live in a partial blessing that God has for us. And some people are content with that. And I feel sorry for you if that's you. Because God wants to take you from the valley you are and he wants to put you on the mountaintop and give you a view of the blessings that he has for you, but you're content in the valley saying, Lord... I'm okay right here. That God is telling you this morning, listen, I have more for you. Does anybody here want more from the Lord? Does anybody here say, hey, I want everything that you want. Only half of you do. That's cool. I guess maybe the other half of you are in the 10% range. Listen, I don't want 10% of what God wants for me. I want 100% of what he has promised me. And the problem is not God is not giving it. The problem is I'm not receiving it. So here's the deal. The children of Israel, they were given the land. God said, I will give it to you. You, It's yours. You take it. They did not take it. They did not realize the fullness of the blessing that God had for them. And that can happen to you and I. And it does happen to us. I wonder what God has promised you personally. What he has promised you relationally, financially, emotionally. The spiritual blessings that he has said that he would give you and you're not realizing today. God says, listen, be a promise receiver. Be a full promise receiver. Don't settle, don't be content with 10% of what he's given you, although that's probably awesome. It's way better than we could do on our own. 10%, 1% of what God has given us is far greater than anything we could do on our own. But I'm telling you that God wants to do more in your life. When he said, do you think Jesus, when he said, hey, I've I've come to give you life in that more abundantly, that he didn't mean that? Did you not think that he meant Abundant life. Wait, anybody here in the abundant life? You might be experiencing some of it, but listen, I'm telling you, there's more to it, and it takes something. It, there's three things I want to share with you from from ten chapters. So we're going to be here till like three thirty today. Is that okay? No, <laughs> I am going to go through ten chapters, but we're not going to spend our time going through it, uh, you know, verse by verse, because what's going on in Joshua chapter twelve through twenty two is the distribution of the land. God is. God is being faithful in what he said he would do. I'll give you this land, and he's distributing to the children of Israel as he said he would. But they're content. Many of them are content with that, and they don't go on beyond. Let me just show you an illustration. Would you throw up that first map? This is what God had promised them. You see the red line there? That's what he promised them. Look at Israel. Look how small it is. That's what they settled for. And as of today, they're only in 85 percent a hundred, approximately eighty-five hundred square miles, and they keep giving land away because they want peace. Wait a second! God said He gave them three hundred thousand square miles. There's a problem. And here's what happens when you don't do what, when you don't receive what God wants to give you. He takes it off the table eventually. Here's what He tells the children of Israel in Judges chapter two, verses one through five. He says this, because they did not go into the land, they did not kick out the people of the land, here's what he said to them. Now the angel of the Lord went from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break their altars, you shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side, and, your, and their God shall be a snare to you. It's not that God had taken the, the, the children of Israel, the, the promise, away from them. He's just not going to do it for them now. He's going to say, listen, because you're going to live in disobedience to my word, you're not going to trust me. You're not going to receive the fullness of my promise. Then I'm going to let you live in that. How about that? That sucks. God had way more than that, right? And he's telling them, listen, I had so much more for you because you are hard-hearted towards me and my promise. And you get so easily content in this little, little piece of property that you have. And I have so much more for you. I'm not going to kick the people out now. They're not gonna, they're, I'm not going to do it and listen as is, as is what we do. It says as soon as in verse 4 there, as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted their voices and wept. Oh no! You mean we don't get it? that? You're not going to help us anymore, Lord? Come on, God, help me now, you know. But I've been trying to help you. You won't listen. And they called the name of the place Bochim, which means weepers, by the way, and they sacrifice there to the Lord. Listen, God said, I fulfilled my promise, but you did not obey my voice. You didn't obey my voice, and now you have to live with the ramifications of living in the disobedience of of me. You have to to live in that. Fast forward some 3,500 years to, to, to present day today, somewhere around that neighborhood, uh, the children of Israel are dealing with thorns in their flesh, are they not? They're constantly being, trying to be um, conquered. But they had the size of, of turkey, but they're settled for the, the size of New Jersey. But they had the size of turkey. And I'm telling you that God is a turkey in your life, but some of us are settling for New Jersey. And God is saying, I've, I have more for you. I want to give you more. But you must obey my voice. Listen, we don't want to think about the consequences of our decisions like this, but some of us in this room will deal with some things in our lives, uh, are going to deal with some of these things for the rest of our lives until Jesus comes back because we disobeyed God, and he told us not to do that, and we did it, and now there's consequences to that. And God is saying, I'm, I'm going to save you, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to help you, but I may not take all the consequences away from everything that you've done. The consequences of them disobeying God was the fact that he said, now you're going to deal with this thorn in your flesh, these enemies that are going to constantly try and rise up and take you out. Listen, some folks in our world are going to deal with a decision that they make to disobey the word of God and reject Jesus Christ, and that will be an eternal decision that they've made. And God's not going to come back halfway through eternity and say, now are you sorry? It's over. There is, And people will say, well, I don't understand that. Why would God do that? The, the problem is that we don't, uh, we, we have no problem just on a horizontal level to, to consider somebody who's done some horrendous crime, right? And they get life in prison. And we got no problem with that because they deserve that. That's the judgment for the decisions that they've made. So we go, well, life in prison. Now, now and we might be divided on, whether or not you know the capital punishment is legit or not but regardless life, people get life sentences here and oftentimes we would probably for the majority of the people in here I would say 99 point some odd percent would say yeah I, I agree with that based on the decisions we have no problem with that but when God wants to give somebody eternal life sentence we have a problem with that people say "Oh, I don't understand that. why would a loving God do that the problem is you don't understand the holiness of God and your sin you don't understand that that's why you have a hard time grasping the reality of the decisions that we make and how and the ramifications of those decisions. But let me tell you something. God is always merciful. God is always gracious. He always gives us way too many chances, way far, far greater than, than, than we could ever even imagine. And he's faithful to continue to reach his hand out to us. It's us that's the problem. And so when we come to that place of disobeying God, it's not that God hasn't given us everything that we need. It's not that he's not going to fulfill everything he said he would. He's going to do all of that, but somehow, way, we settle in this low living, this low level of living where we're just like, okay, well, I'm okay here. But Jesus said he came to give you freedom. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed, but, but that doesn't mean 100%. You know, That's not what Jesus meant is isn't it? But 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 we only we're going to settle for the ten percent freedom, but Jesus said He came to set us free, and so there are things in our lives that I think there's promises in God's word that we are not fully receiving and we are not recognizing in our lives, and that's what I want to point out in chapters Joshua chapter twelve through twenty-two. You know, we find where God is faithful in issuing uh, the land that He promised you know the part of it not all of it they didn't they, they didn't go on and take it all but but he promised them specific places listen to this by tribe by clan and by individual this talks about the person the, the person of God and how intimate he wants to be in our lives the fact that he is not just some distant god that says You guys figure that out. No, I'm going to give you personally this land. This is your allotment. This is your allotment. This is your allotment. Like God is into the individual. It's not about just this corporate thing, although he works through corporate church and all that kind of stuff, but every one of us individually he cares about, he has a plan for, and he has inheritance and allotment for. And that's what we see in these chapters as God starts to distribute out to these various different people, you know. And and that's what's awesome about reading the genealogies of these various different places in Scripture. You know, some people say, oh, just just get past them. Listen, God puts people's name on a list because they're important to him. That's why he puts them in a list, and he says, I want you to know this person, and this person, and this person. And did you know that God put your name in a book, and he cares about your name in that book? There's a list there, and he cares about that list. And he cares about every individual on that list. And so when we come across these lists in the Bible... We don't want to just skip them. I know they're hard to read. But we want to think about why would God put that in Scripture? Why would He care that much about that? Because God wants to show you He is faithful when we are not faithful. That He cares about the individual. That He cares about you. That He's that intimate. And so that's what He's doing here. But, but what I want to look at is uh, the title of my message this morning is Receiving the Fullness of God's Promises. And I want to spend the rest of our time really considering three ways that we can ensure that we're receiving all that God has for us. And the first thing that I want to share with you is obedience is required to real, realize the fullness of God's uh, promises. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13, we're going to take a high-level view of, uh, of these chapters. Um, Joshua chapter 13, we're going to look, we're going to start in verse 7. Now God is, um, you know, when we ended chapter 11, it said there was no more war. For the most part, the children of Israel had dethroned the kings of the land. They were, you know, they've taken out the massive armies. Like, there's no real uh, recognizable force that was going to take more than just a clan, a a tribe of of Israel to deal with. And so he distributes the land up to them and says, now you go into your part of the land and you root out the, the resistance that exists in that place. You go and take out the stragglers that... Found, found their way back, but but you do not live with them. You do not receive them in. You do not, you know, because what will end up happening, you'll start to worship their gods. So don't do that. You get rid of all that stuff. So that's what's happening. Corporately, in Joshua 11, at the end there, as far as it relates to um, the kings of the land of Canaan, they were all disposed, dispossessed. They were all taken down. They were all killed. Now, he's sending each tribe into the, their section of Israel, What's Peter, throw that Throw that map up on the, the distribution of the land here. This is kind of the distribution of the land. You can see the, 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 the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh were on the east side of the Jordan, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And on the west side, we have all the other nine and a half tribes there. That was the allotment of land. Now, they were supposed to go into their little sections there and deal with the people, the, any, any enemies that were left over. And so um, let's stand here. I want to read Joshua chapter 13. And look at verse 7 here, starting in verse 7, it, or actually starting in verse 1 here. It says this, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Gersherites from Shihor which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It was counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Geza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And those of the Avim in the south, all the, la- all the land of the Canaanites, the Meera uh, that belongs to the Sidonians, to Ekphik, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the uh, Gibelites in all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mizrath even all the Sidonians I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel only allot the land of Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and a half tribe of Manasseh. So, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for revealing your faithfulness to us through your scriptures this morning. And <coughs> We ask, Father, that you would quicken our hearts. Lord, you would speak to us directly. You would help us to see, Lord, in areas of our lives where we're not receiving the fullness of what you have for us. We want to live in the fullness of your promises. And so we ask that you would speak to us individually. Every one of us here this morning, you have something to say to us. So we pray that you would speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. (coughs) Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike, can you turn this? Is it hot in here? I'm like sweating. I'm dying. Like, oh, my gosh, and i got to stand here forever, and I don't want to sweat forever, so let's just turn the AC down or something. But anyway... Um, listen, getting old has its upsides and downsides, does it not? It, it's like you have the upside of getting old and you have the downside of getting old. But one of the upsides of getting old is you get to uh, see and experience life more. You know, you, you, for some of you, you get to see your children grow and you'll get to grow into adulthood. They'll get married and perhaps even have grandkids. And I hear that's when the real fun starts, when you can hang out with your descendants a couple hours at a time and send them home. So, you know, you get to do that. So that's sure a blessing. Um, some of you get will have the opportunity to travel all over the place, and you know, and, and you'll be able to enjoy life in a different way. But um, some of you, uh, you know, as I get older, there are a lot of things that are happening to my body that are not so desirable. There's the downside to it. You know, there. Uh, the, one of the downsides to getting older is really, you know, the fact that the only hair appointment that you're going to need to make is an ear hair appointment, which is never a good thing. I had to schedule one of those with my daughter the other day. She said, Dad, you didn't make an appointment, you know, and whatever. So I, I'm getting old. So I got hair growing out of places that shouldn't grow out of, but whatever. And so that's a downfall. That's a true story. Now, um, it, you don't really have to worry about, you know, cleaning your teeth because you have your self-cleaning kit at home, just a just a jar, and you can take your teeth out and clean it right there. So that's another upside to being, being older. But, uh, um, you know, the other thing is, is, you can get body parts replaced. They, they last for five to seven years. So you have that going for you as well. But, um, you know, listen, at the end of the day, there is some really cool things about getting older. There's some really cool things. It's a blessing to grow old as a Christian. And the reason for that is because if, if you have, if you're blessed enough to grow old here on earth, that means God has something for you to do. That means that he's never done with you, right, here on earth. Like, if you're breathing, if you're living, if you're alive today, God has something that he wants to do through your life. We're not just waiting, as I've been saying. We're not just waiting for Christ to come back. Although we're looking for that, we are busy about God's business, whatever his plan is for us. And listen, as you get older you know God's plan may change for you but but I want to say that growing older is awesome and we we love the the more mature people in our in our fellowship because we need you guys really ultimately uh, much of the call of uh, of an older person is to teach back into the younger people to pour into their lives, to tell them about all the experiences because what I've learned in my life is that I know nothing about life and as I continue to grow a little bit uh, older and older, I grow a little bit more wiser. I just say a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit more wiser. I don't develop the same, you know, I hopefully I'm not stumbling over the same things and somebody that's lived twice as long as I have has a lot to share with me about living the Christian life. In fact, it's funny when you talk to various different people about how they came to Christ. Oftentimes I hear this. I hear this probably more often than anything is the fact that my grandma or my grandpa told me about Jesus. It was my grandma and grandpa that did it. Oftentimes I hear that as, you know, you're, you're sitting talking to people, you know, well, my grandma and grandpa, they told me about the Lord, you know. So so getting old is awesome. And, you know, we, 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 we love to have uh, more mature believers around us because that is is a blessing and God has a plan for you and I want you guys to know this morning all of you that God is not done with you like he's got big plans for you guys and we're thankful that you're part of the congregation amen like we're really thankful to have mature people in our midst that God can use to help us grow in our faith and we need you and so Joshua is at that stage in his life where he's getting older he's he's growing more mature the Lord says dude you're getting old bro you know, we got to do something about this, Joshua, because there's a lot of land to inhabit. Did you catch that? Like God didn't say, hey, go ahead and enjoy the land because you're done. No, he said, dude, you're old and there's a lot of land that you got to inhabit yet. So what are we going to do about this? I'll tell you what, Joshua, I'll go in and I'll take it. I'll kick them out for you. Now, hey, God already had gone before them and done incredible things. Now he tells them, oh, dude, you're so old that I'm just going to go and just remove them for you so you can walk in and take the land. And do they do it? They don't do it, not, not to a large degree. They partially do, but not really to the, to the extent that God wanted them to do. So Joshua, God, God gives Joshua this calling on his life he's led them into the place that he has been called to do that. Now God says, "Now you distribute the land. That's what I want you to focus on, Joshua. You're not to go out and take the rest of the land. You let these guys do that. Now you focus on distributing the land. That's what I want you to do." And so he's so that's what he does. And he starts from, you know, chapter 12, there all the way to chapter 21, he's distributing the the land there. And God has given him, well actually, it's starting right after this in chapter 13. And he's distributing all the land, but but they're not inhabiting all of it as they would, would want. As I showed you before, God divided the nine and a half tribes. were on the, one, the west side of the Jordan. And then there was two and a half tribes that stayed on the east side. And I'll talk to you about that in a minute because it's important. It's part of us really uh, realizing the fullness of the promises of God is when we stay on the east side of the Jordan, there's a problem with that. But we'll talk about it in a second. Not that it wasn't the promised land because it was but it wasn't where God wanted them in the first place, like at that point in time. And, and for some of you, God has promised you something, but it's not yet, and you're trying to live in it now, and he's saying, no, it's not yet, but I'll give it to you later. But if you'll just move where I tell you to move now, you will be far more blessed than anything that you'll recognize. So I'll get into that in a minute. But but for these guys right now, Joshua is just called to distribute the land. And so that, that's what he's doing. Now, um, God promised that he would give them every place that the sole of their foot would tread upon. So as these tribes go back into the land, God has given them that promise already. You don't have to worry about it. And I'm going to move out the people so you can go in there, right? So, um, you know, and yet they stop short of the fullness of the promise. They don't go and, they don't go and realize the promise that God has given them. They stay, many of these guys stay content. And in our spiritual lives, we can stop the fight in certain areas of our lives under the guise of that's just the way that I am. You ever said that to yourself? Well, that's just the way that I am. Trying to excuse your sin? You know, oh, I'm just, that's just the way that I am. You know, I, I, I'm this way, so that makes that okay. That doesn't make that okay. You realize that. Like, there is no, I'm just the way, that, that's just the way that I am. That's not in the Bible. Like God said, that's not the way I created you to be, and so there's a, there's a problem with your theology if you're telling yourself that. It's called uh, a scapegoat. It's called, I don't want to deal with my sin, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to shirk it or slough it off, you know? Uh, how about this? You can't teach old dogs new tricks, right? So older people are just like, oh, he'll never get it. You he he can't teach old dogs new tricks, really? Is that in the Bible? <laughs> That's not in the Bible. Like, we're in a perpetual state of change, and we should never stop changing. Like, we, we should constantly be saying, God, shape me, make me. Search my heart, as David said. Make me the person that you want me to be. And I know until I get into the grave, you'll still be shaping me. You'll still be changing me. And so don't grow hard towards that. We can never, ever think that we've arrived spiritually. There is always a fight. And as we end chapter 11, the the corporate fight is over, like I said, and now they have to go in and fight um, individually. And we know that they don't conquer the land fully because here's, the th- here's, here's what they experienced. They, they were partially obedient, so they got partial a uh, blessing. They were partially obedient, so they got partial blessing. But if you want the full blessing, you have to be fully obedient. You can't stop short of what God wants for you. Listen, you can do all things through Christ. It doesn't matter what it is in your life, where you, you, you've kind of just accepted, like, that's just the way that I am, and God would say No. No, you can do all things through Christ. If there, there's something in your life you struggle with, you can get over that because Jesus paid for it on the cross. He shed his blood and his blood is powerful. We, saw, we sang it earlier, his name is powerful. We can, we can get over those, those, those speed bumps in our life. Listen, some of you are trying to scale you know, some mountains that are incredibly difficult and you're getting tired, but God would tell you to continue to trudge forward. if if that's what he's called you to do, then you don't give up. You don't say, well, this looks like a nice place. I like the 10,000 foot elevation, but I want to summit. I want to summit Everest. That's 30 some thousand feet. I want to get to the top of it. And God's going to say, well, you got to continue to endure. You got to push forward. So don't stop the fight. It is difficult. Life is difficult. Listen, the flesh is hard to overcome. If we give it power, if we feed it, if we don't Uh, allow the spirit to come over and empower us in those areas of our lives that we're struggling with man christ has done it all for us but there is still that battle paul would say starve your flesh out he would say beat your body into submission that sounds like a fight to me sounds like you know like i'm gonna have to struggle a little bit to do that but i promise you can overcome because jesus promises that he told us that we could overcome uh, listen. We have to do if we want to receive the fullness of the uh, of all that God has for us. We have to be obedient to His word. We have to be obedient to His word. When He says something, we have to do what He says, and we can't change what it says. Well, I don't think it, I don't think He meant that. You know, I'm not sure that He meant this. Like, what? Like, there's some some you know question of what sexual morality is. Is there a line? Do it? Can I can I go this far or whatever? Listen, if you're if you're questioning in that. Then you're already in sin. You have to question where the line is on that. You already stepped over the line, I promise you. God would say, listen, just be obedient, fully obedient. Don't, don't we, we have this, you know, th- this thing where there's a line and we want to get as close as we can to it. God would say, stay clear away from that line. Don't get close to it. Now, of course, that's where legalism came from. You know, that's why the Pharisees and the Sag- that's why the Pharisees instilled all these rules. Because they said, here's the line, and we're going to stay so far away from the line that we don't get close to it. And the intention was right initially, but it became greater than God's word himself. These All these rules that they put in place. So, of course, we don't want to be legalistic about it, but what I'm saying is you know yourself. You know what you struggle with. You know what you need to you know, cut out of your life or whatever, and it doesn't matter what other people are going to think. Amen? It doesn't matter because God is greater, and his word is greater and I want to obey him because I want to fulfill I want to realize the fullness of his promises in my life so that's the first point that if we're gonna if we're gonna really fully recognize all the promises that God has for us we have to be obedient to his word and secondly we need to remind ourselves often of those promises look at uh, chapter 14 verse 6 here's a guy named Caleb now, you know Joshua was one of the 12 spies that originally went into the land, and there was another dude named Caleb. Now, here's his story. Caleb and Joshua are the only ones from that generation that actually got to go into the promised land because they believed God at his word, because they trusted him that, that he was greater than, than the giants in the land, that he, could, that he could do far more while the other 10 came back and caused the people to shake and tremble. So, so here, but look what, look what Caleb does. For 45 years, this guy is reminding himself. It, he's, he's remembering the promise that God had given him, and he brings it up right here in chapter 14 to Joshua in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Chesonite, Kezen, or whatever that is, said to him, you know what the Lord said to, the, to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely that the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because... You have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as the strength what my strength was then, for war, and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron Became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, uh, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the land had rest from war. Now, Caleb was just a stud. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, he was a stud. This guy followed God no matter what. That's what it said here. Can you hear the repetition in the, in, the, in the verses we read? He followed the Lord. He followed the Lord. He wasn't worried about what was in front of him. He was following God. Wherever God would take him, he would go. Listen, here's a guy that's not like the, the Reubenites, the Gadites, or the half-tribe of Manasseh that says, oh, this land looks great. I want to stay on this side of the Jordan because this looks really good for me. He goes, no, give me the, give me the hardest land. Give me the most difficult people. I want that land. I want the giants of the land. Like, like I, want, I don't want some weenies. When I go in, I want to go in like a man. I want to take these giants on. I want to see what I can do. I know I can do everything through the Lord. And so I'm just going to follow God into this land. I'm going to watch him take down. I think that he was one of those guys, like if there are Christian thrill seekers, like this is a Christian thrill seeker. Uh, you know, Caleb was one of those guys that said, God, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to see you do this stuff, man. I want to be right there. You know, I want, to be, I, want to, I want to be on the front lines to see it happen. That's how much he trusted God. And so he didn't say, give me, the, give me the land on the other side that I don't have to battle anybody, although they would have to go and battle with them. But he would say, give me the hard stuff. Give me the difficult stuff. He was such a stud, man. This guy was full throttle, all in, servant. And it, and it tells us why he re, fully receives the promise of God here because he wholly followed the Lord. He didn't serve God with partial obedience, but he gave him everything that he had. He was relentless about about this promise, though. He was relentless about what he he had been promised 45 years earlier. And every step that he took in the promised land, I promise you, was with the mindset of, I want that land. I want that land that I was promised. The Lord had given me that land. I'm going to get that land one day. And, you know, so oftentimes we can be in the fight for 40 some years waiting to realize that the promise that God has given us, we're waiting to realize it. And, and, you know, we start getting weary because we're saying, God, I thought you said that you were going to do this, but it wasn't in your timing, but in his timing. And so we just keep on to the promise and we follow God with everything that we have. And we remind ourselves of the promises, we have to continually remind ourselves of what God's Word says about us because, as I said earlier, life is difficult. Jesus said the path is hard. That leads to life, and it is hard. You know, but, but we have to constantly remind ourselves of why we're doing what we're doing. Anybody ever do that? Like, you, you get in the middle of a project, you go, why, why did we do this again? I don't understand why we tore into the walls because now there's a big mess, and I've been there, done that, that's why I don't do it anymore. But... Um, you know, uh, it's like, uh, but listen, life is difficult, but we got to remember that God has given us promises, and those promises are what we hold on to, it's our fuel, we can it, it continue to trust in what he said, and do what he tells us to do, and, and we remind ourselves that one day, he's going to fulfill what he said he was going to fulfill, because he's faithful, and so when we come to places like, you know, we're weary, Galatians 6, 9, you know, let us not grow weary uh, for, of doing good, for in due season, for in due season, we will reap. It's not a question. We will reap if we do not give up. Paul was saying life is hard, yes. But we remind ourselves that there is a reaping of, the, of, of all the labor that we put into this life. There is a reaping. And some of it you'll see here on earth, and some of it you'll see in heaven. But there is a reaping, and he said you will reap. And so you press on. You keep, keep moving forward. You know, the times that we need to remind ourselves of the promises the most is when we're going through suffering, right? I mean, as I read the letters that Paul wrote, the things that he pointed people to during their suffering were the promises of God. He said things like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Where is he pointing? He's pointing up. He's pointing to the Lord. He's pointing to what will be one day. He goes on in 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Like the stuff you're going through, God is using to prepare you and shape you for heaven. And so where is he pointing people when they're suffering? At themselves? Oh, I feel so sorry for you. Let me come alongside of you. Get your eyes on Jesus. You know, remind yourself of the promises of God that he is going to do what he said he's going to do. It might not be in your timing, though. We have to continually remind ourselves of that. Listen, if we don't, we will not fully realize all that God has given us, and we will be like the Israelites who settled for 10% or less than all that God had given them. Lastly, if we're going to receive the fullness of God's promises, then we're going to have to remain altered at all times we find this kind of in Joshua chapter 22 flip with me there very quickly Uh, Joshua chapter 22 here is the story of the the Reubenites the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh as they go back into their land Joshua's distributed all the land now Uh, these guys are going back over the east side of the Jordan and here's what it says here listen to this in verse 10 And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, the the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and to the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of of Gilead Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, each one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? That you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if your land, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel. And he did not perish alone for this iniquity. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows... And let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in a breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, We have you to do, or what have you to do with the Lord? the God of Israel. For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and the people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord, so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, so your children will not say to our children, in time to come, you have no portion in the land. And we thought if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. When Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, the people of, ha- of Manasseh, spoke. It was good in their eyes. And Phineas and the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the, chief, and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and brought back word to them and the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel and the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness for they said it is a witness between us and the Lord is God. Now, that was a lot to read all at once. But you get the gist of what's going on there. The children of Israel, the, the, the Gadites, the Reubenites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they go, um, they, they're going back to their land on their way back. They say, hold on a second. What happens in generation two or three down the line when, when the children of Israel on the west side of the Jordan were on the east side of the Jordan and all of a sudden they got a problem with us? And they start to say, hey, you don't belong here. You can't come here. You're not allowed to come sacrifice in this tabernacle. You guys get out of here. We built an altar to be a witness that we are part of you. And and so the issue at hand in in chapter 22 is an altar issue. That's the problem. The nine and a half tribes uh, built, uh, the two and a half tribes built an altar that was not a small altar, by the way. It was huge. It was massive. They didn't want this thing to be missed. But understand, it wasn't an altar of worship. It wasn't an altar of sacrifice, but it was an altar of witness to remind the generations to come that these people were part of the team, that they shouldn't be forgotten. But here's the problem. Here's the issue. Although the east side of the Jordan was ultimately part of the promise God had given Abraham, it wasn't where God wanted them in the moment. Did you see the, the invitation given there by Phineas when he said, why don't you guys come over here where you're supposed to be? But you guys want to stay on this side of the land so you have to build certain things to, to, to remind you know, people down the line that you're part of us. Why don't you just come be part of us? Like if you have to, if you have to build things to show people that you're a Christian, there's probably a problem with that. If you, if you have to, you know, paint a picture, if you've got to do something, if you've got to build some kind of altar to say, look, I'm a believer, there's a problem with that. Go where God called you to go in the first place. Don't separate yourself from the church. I'm a believer, I just don't go to church. Doesn't make sense. It's against the word of God. But I'm going to build this altar so everybody knows that I'm a believer. But why don't you just be a, be a believer and do what believers do? Why don't you just, well, the church is just bad, you know. I mean, they've really messed me over and all this kind of stuff. Get over yourself. How about that? You know, how about you just worship God and stop focusing on man? You know, nobody's going to do it right. Everybody's going to do it wrong. And in some, listen, I'll tell you what, some of you are so great in your own eyes that nobody can do it right. It doesn't matter who it is. So, you know, I, I'm not insulting you guys, but if, if I am, praise God. You know, I don't mean to be, but, but here's the thing. Listen. These guys weren't where they were supposed to be. And so they had to build some altar, and it was an altar issue. They built the altar saying, hey, we, we, this, is, this is the altar that, that um, is the reminder between you and I. The problem is that they weren't altered in their heart. They weren't surrendered to God. And that is the issue. You want to receive the full promises of God? You have to be altered in your heart. What do I mean? I mean, you've got to be surrendered to God. When we talk about an altar call, we're, not, we're talking about you coming to the Lord, laying down whatever it is, surrendering your life to God. That's what it is. They just wanted to build an altar and say, that's good enough. No, it's not. It's not good enough. Just like it's not good enough to just show up at church, it's not going These things, God, God appreciates your presence here this morning, but He wants your heart. Like He wants you surrendered. He wants you to lay everything down at His feet and give Him everything that He deserves. You give Him His life and He will exalt you. You come humbly before Him. He'll lift you up. And oftentimes we come the other way. God, lift me up and I'll humble myself. Doesn't work you will not do it. Oftentimes when God begins to lift up, we have to guard ourselves against becoming prideful. And it's a guard, and you have to have that guard in your life. Listen, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, if you go back and you read about why they're in this land, it says because they saw the land. It wasn't because God said you could have the land. It was because they saw the land and they thought that was what was best for them. And God said, no, I have a land over the Jordan on the west side for you. But if you want that land, I'll give it to you. But that's not my best for you. And some of us are okay with that as long as we get what we want. And so now we have to start doing things. We have to start building things. We have to start uh, orchestrating all these things to make sure that we're not forgotten what? Why don't we just do the right thing in the first place? If the Gadites, the, the, the Reubenites, these guys, if they, would have, if they would have gone into the land and stayed in the land, guess what? They would have had that land anyways. God would have said, oh yeah, take it. But they weren't altered. But they built an altar. And that's how many people worship God. I'm coming to the altar, Lord, but I'm not altered in my heart. I'm not surrendered in my heart, but it sure looks like I'm altered because I've built this altar. I'm coming to the altar. I'm, I'm doing the physical thing, but I'm not doing the spiritual thing. God's not interested in the physical thing. He wants the spiritual thing. Listen, you can fake everyone else out in this room and it means nothing. It means zero, but, but you can't fake out God. He knows if you're surrendered in your heart. He knows if you belong to Him. He knows you know everything about you. You can't hide yourself. And you'll never, ever experience the fullness of what God has for you if you don't come altered to the table, if you don't come surrendered in your heart to Him. I'm not just talking about yesterday or the day before, but I'm talking every day, every moment, you've got to stay altered. If you want to to, um, experience all the promises that God has, if you want to have the fullness on earth, listen, at the end of the day, if you want to have everything that He's promised you horizontally on this earth, You have to be surrendered. It's the only way to receive it. It's the only way you'll be able to really even see what it is that God wants to give you. It's a matter of being altered. God is faithful to do what he promised. Even when we're not faithful, that's what's awesome. Children of Israel weren't faithful, but God was faithful in doing what he said. He said, listen, he gave this promise, you realize, before they became slaves in Egypt. And he was saying, you know, they were slaves in Egypt as a result of, you know, their own hearts. And they got sucked in, and he said, listen, I'm going to chastise you. You're going to go into slavery, but I'll bring you out of it. And he promised that already 400 years before it even happened. I'm just telling you that he's faithful in your life. He's not, he's not, he hasn't forgotten about you. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life. You don't have to question, God, are you there? He is there. Because he's faithful. The reason we question is because we are not faithful. And we accuse God of not being faithful in our life. He is faithful. He will do exactly what he promises he will do. But here's the deal. You may not receive everything that he promised uh, because of something in your heart, because you're not being obedient to his word, because you're not you know, pursuing and enduring to, to lay hold of that promise that he's given you, or you're not altered in your heart. Those are the three things I want to show you from the scriptures this morning. I want to encourage you. Listen, God has more for you. God has more for me. He wants to do far greater things in our lives. And, you know, we we all want it yesterday and now and yesterday, right? We want to have it instantaneously. But it's a process because God has to remove things out of our hearts. He's got to break us down. He has to remove the sin in our lives. He needs to create this heart of repentance in us. And as we do that, then we receive more and more from the Lord. What I'm saying is that God's promises are there for you. The question is, are you receiving them fully? And that's what he wants to speak to you about individually this morning. He's going to give you the portions of the land. He's, he's going to do everything he said. Every foot, every, every place that you uh, put your, the sole of your foot will trot upon, he's given you. But will you receive it? And will you inhabit it fully? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for just meeting us where we are this morning, God, and speaking to our lives and just for calling us to this place, God, where you desire to do more in us. You desire to give us the fullness of your blessings. And yet, oftentimes, Lord, it's ourselves that are are hindering what you want to do in our life. And so we pray, God, right now, Number one, we just ask you for forgiveness, Lord. We ask you to cleanse our hearts. We ask you to just remove things in our minds and our hearts that are stopping us from really uh, receiving the fullness of what you have for us. Lord, if it's pride, if it's, if it's sin, if it's whatever it might be, God, we, we ask you to just cleanse our hearts this morning. We, we ask you to just help us to make intentional steps to the be in the fullness of what you have for us. It's not because we, we get, you know, this is not a prosperity thing, Lord. It's not about us prospering, but it, it's about us receiving the best that you have for us. You want to bless us, Lord. You want to move in our midst. You want to see us set free. You want to see us uh, realizing victory in our lives, but you won't make us. You extend your hand of grace this morning to us. And you say, it's available to you, but you have to be obedient to me. You have to, you know, just remind yourself of of my promises so that you will endure, so that you'll keep pressing forward. And ultimately, Lord, that we would be surrendered this morning to you. And so, God, as we just close in this last song, we ask that you would just move in our midst and you would help us to um, just be drawn close to you and, and allow your spirit to move in our hearts to whatever degree you desire. Lord, if there are some that need salvation this morning, that they would come to the altar and they would just give their lives to you. Say, Lord, here I am. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe in my heart that God raised, that he died and he rose again from the dead. And I'm, I'm committing my, my life to Jesus. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning to God this morning. I'm turning to you. I'm asking you to cleanse me and forgive me. And for the rest of us, Lord, you know what our needs are. so as we close in this song, Lord, that you would just move in us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.